0: Father, we do stand before You simply because of what Christ has accomplished for us, Your work, Your grace, through Your Spirit on our hearts. And we ask for that again, that You would move in us, that You would compel us by Your Spirit to hear the truth, the Word that Your Spirit inspired, the Word that Your Son came to this earth. Lord, we pray that we would seek to know Him, to know You, the Father, and to know the Spirit as well. We ask all this in the name of Jesus amen you may be seated well it's a joy to be with you today the first day of 2023 i am glad to see there's quite a few of you here good to know who's going to be raptured and uh, who's going to be left behind well my desire this year my overarching desire as i look forward into 2023 Uh, is really from that passage, Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and fellowship in His sufferings and becoming like Him in death. That's my passion this year, to know Christ, to know God the Father, to know God the Spirit more and more. That's my desire, not just for me, really my desire for our church, that we would know God, our triune God. Christ ascended down, He went down all the way down to this dark, faulty, filthy, failing world. And though he did not ever sin, he became the carrier of sin. And he faced the wrath of God. Why? Why did Christ do that? In terms of us, it is so that we would know God. That we would know the Father and fellowship with the Son and that we would be moved by the Spirit to believe all this into a relationship, a, a mystical union with the triune God. We can know Him as an amazing thought, that we can know the God of this universe. And today it's my purpose to call you to a passion of knowing Him, of seeking Him this year, 2020. It's going to be a little bit different message today. I'm going to look at a number of different passages, but it's all under this theme that we would know Him. I'm going to start, though, by reading to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 you want to turn there. We're going to look, like I said, at several passages, but I think this is a good jumping off point as we look at several passages that are very similar to this passage, and it all has to do with knowing God, knowing God through His Word, knowing God in the truth of His Word, gaining this knowledge, not just head knowledge, not just data, but in terms of a relationship with God. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 1, I'll begin in verse 4. Go down to verse 9. Again, this is sort of emblematic of a number of the verses I'm going to read to you today. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that... You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So often I have discovered that Christians are somewhat tentative or reticent to pursue knowledge of God or being knowledgeable about God. And I think it's because some people would say knowledge merely leads to pride. So you ought to avoid it. Someone told me one time, an older pastor told me one time, you don't want to get too deep on Sunday morning as you preach the Word because you don't want your people to think too much. I've had Christians tell me, i don't care about all the book learning i don't care about all the theology that's not something i'm interested in i'm just interested in in the feelings and the vibes that i get from the lord i loved it let me illustrate some of this i loved it some years ago when i think it was about 20 years ago when they invented the gelatinized hand sanitizer you guys remember there wasn't hand sanitizer you kids don't know this but there was a time when there was no such thing as hand sanitizer and then at some point at one point you had to just wash your hands and at some point someone came up with this gel or this foam that you could get and it would instantly sanitize your hands and i immediately became addicted i like the idea of killing all the bacteria if i come see you in the hospital we have a minimal of four applications two before and two after if i come to see you don't want any of those nasty bacteria on my hands however we know, we've learned this even since hand sanitizer, that bacteria is not all bad. Some bacteria isn't even good. In fact, they proven, I was reading an article this week from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, that you actually want some bacteria on your hands. It gets on your food and goes into your mouth, goes into your stomach, and actually works to fight against bad bacteria. You actually want some bacteria in your gut. But I had this idea, especially as a germaphobe, I had this idea that I need to get all bacteria gone off of me, out of me. I had this really unreasonable, irrational fear of bacteria. Yes, there are dangerous ones, but there are also some very helpful bacteria. Well, I think many Christians treat uh, knowledge of God kind of like I had this unhealthy fear about bacteria. They think knowledge of God is always resulting in pride or this caricature of someone who's a theologian who's sort of cold and lives up in a seminary hall and doesn't have anything to do with reality. And so people purposefully avoid growing in their minds, growing in their intellects. The truth is Paul cherished this idea of Christians growing in knowledge because knowledge for him is not just data. Knowledge is a relationship that we have with God. Knowledge is based upon the the spoken testimony about Christ that we have in the Word of God. And as we read the Word of God, it it develops in us us a a relationship, a a relationship with God Himself. He says this, verse 4 there in 1 Corinthians 1, I give thanks to my God that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Well, how did the grace of God evidence itself in the people of corinth in speech and knowledge and what happened as a result of the knowledge that came to them verse 6 even as the testimony about christ was confirmed among you so this is the the message the knowledge of christ the gospel of jesus came to them this knowledge came to them so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The expansion of their minds, the expansion of their intellect, the expansion of their knowledge of God was not simply this cold fact. It was knowledge that gave birth to a moving of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. God gave you this knowledge, and this knowledge led you to understand Christ, understand your need of Christ, this knowledge came to you, and the Spirit moved you in such a way that this, this knowledge would plant itself like the seed in the parable of the soils. It planted itself in the soil of your heart and began to produce fruit. God gave you knowledge, and it moved even further into the area of spiritual giftedness. It, it equipped you to, to live and work in the people of God and to live as a Christian. In short, knowledge is the way the Spirit moves in our lives. It is foundational to even when we sing and worship. It's the key to our spiritual growth, and it is indeed the basis for our faith. So I want to go through that idea of what role knowledge has in the life of the Christian, and why indeed should we pursue knowing God, knowledge of God, specifically knowledge in the scripture number one knowing god is integral to the spirit's work knowing god is integral to the spirit's work now again this is contrary to much of uh, christian thinking of our day most people hold that when you talk about the spirit's work in your life when you talk about spiritual gifts even really anything that includes a spirit, it means sort of a a supernatural zap that bypasses your mind, that has nothing to do with thinking, has nothing to do with intellect, has nothing to do with logic, and just affects your emotions and your actions. The mind does not have to be engaged when it comes to the spirit, many people believe. But listen to what Paul says later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray also with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I also will sing praise with my mind. So, whatever way in which, whatever camp you are when it comes to tongues or spiritual gifts, we do know this. Paul is saying that our minds should be engaged, or it is fruitless. But again, so many people hold to this mindless form of Christianity. It's just. All feelings, as I said earlier, they've pitted intellect against the Spirit as though they work in contrast to one another. Paul said that kind of thinking, that kind of just raw emotion without intellect, without knowledge, without truth, that is fruitless. Clearly, Paul felt that the mind would be the conduit through which the Spirit would move in your life. Think about that. I think that's a good word, conduit. Copper wire is not electricity. PVC pipe is not water, but the wire is the way the electricity moves. It's the way it becomes active and available and present. Pipe is the way that water becomes useful and present and available. We are right to believe that the mind in of itself, the intellect in of itself, knowledge in of itself is not the Spirit, but it is the way that the Spirit moves. Paul prayed and believed that the mind was the conduit, the the pipe through which the Spirit would work, the testimony would move through them, it would enable them, it would empower them, it would direct their thoughts and their actions and their attitudes. And I'll say this, some of my deepest emotions, some of my deepest feelings, my moments with God, spiritual moments, have come as a direct fruit of learning truth in Scripture. Some of my most meaningful emotional moments are when I'm preparing for my sermons and I'm going through and studying and, and learning and gaining knowledge about this particular passage. It just builds and builds my mind, and God begins to move in me in a spiritual way. I've told you about this before. In my college years, I was in a Sunday school class that was studying the book of Romans. It really opened up my mind to the fact that God does have a lot to say and a lot that He wants us to know. Now, here is this church at Rome that, by all intents and purposes, would be full of a bunch of baby Christians, and this theological treatise is, is so deep, it's so profound that Just just that very thought that God would want these new Christians to understand these very deep truths and to to hear them and to study them and to analyze them and then to apply them in their lives, it just sort of shocked me. And as I began to study, I just began to drink this in and be amazed at what God was doing. Well, I got to chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, and I started to read some verses that sounded like they were directly against what I'd always believed. And I had to do business with God. I had to really come to a point where I had to decide whether or not I would submit my mind to God's way of thinking, to the truth of God's Word. For Several days, even weeks, I was sort of at war with God's Word, trying to make it fit my understanding, but had to eventually raise my hands up and raise the white flag and say, I surrender all. I surrender even my own thinking. I surrender my mind to you. Now, it was those fruitful months studying the book of Romans that eventually led me into the ministry. There is that direct connection Paul makes, and I personally experienced it. Knowledge and the Spirit's work are directly proportional. They They're directly related to each other. Digging and learning and studying the Word of God pushed me to my relationship with God, a spiritual call of God, even my place in His church. Pursuing the knowledge of God, integral to the Spirit's work. Reason two to pursue knowledge of God, knowing God is foundational to worship. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, I'm going to read beginning in verse 16. Ephesians 1, 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? What is Paul praying? He's praying that they come to a certain level of knowledge, and this knowledge is increasing and increasing. And as it is increasing and increasing, it will increase their ability to glorify God, to worship God. How would they worship God? Verse 18, they would come to know, first of all, the hope to which He's called us. Become acquainted to all the hopeful things. Don't we need hope? Some of us were speculating right before the worship service about the kind of graft and bribery, bribery it must take to get millions of tons of fireworks on this island. illegal fireworks. How do they all get here? Well, someone's getting paid off. Someone's pockets are getting lined. They, it must be enormous mats and containers. If there, this many fireworks, it must be tons, literal, tons of fireworks. The corruption that must be present just in getting fireworks. Yeah, that's little. Think about all the other corrupt things that are happening, all the other politicians and representatives, people here to protect us, to represent us, people here to keep us safe. And here they are getting paid off for certain things, certain things that are far worse than shooting fireworks. We need hope. How do we find hope? We open up the Bible and we learn of the hope. Paul says we get this knowledge. The Spirit of wisdom will come to us in this revelation. This is straight from Ephesians 1, this revelation in the knowledge of Him, this will give us hope. This will bring hope to our hearts. He also says there in verse 18, the riches or the blessings, and I think the best idea here is to say the rich blessing it is to be inherited by Christ. In other words, he's not talking about our personal inheritance. He's talking about the fact that we are Christ's inheritance. In other words, how rich and wonderful and blessed it is to be adopted by God the Father because of what Christ accomplished. Knowledge brings about this deep understanding of hope. Knowledge brings about knowledge of all these blessings, these wonderful things that God gives us because we are His children. In verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of His power. So knowledge results in hope, blessings, and power. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's not a foundation to praise Him and to sing to Him, I don't know what is through knowledge, through truth, through the Word of God. God is flooding our minds and our hearts with with power. He's flooding our hearts with all these blessings. He's flooding our hearts with hope and so that we can come on a Sunday morning like this and we can sing and worship Him and praise Him and glorify Him. Again, if you're the type of person who sort of leans away from knowledge and leans more toward the feeling things, again, I would just say those feelings would be deeply enriched by robust knowledge of God, by digging deeper, not avoiding, but digging deeper and deeper into the truths presented to us in the Word of God. You have plenty to praise Him for. Don't you want to know more about those things? You'll worship Him more and more. This is why Paul would say to the Colossians that when we sing, we're admonishing one another, teaching one another in hymn songs and spiritual songs. We're, We're giving people truth, we come and we sing these songs that aren't just empty, not just geared toward giving you a sort of a, an emotional high, they're geared toward giving each other truth. and We're singing these truths to one another, these songs full of doctrine. It becomes the basis of our praise. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. You now, there's a biblical word, the pagans, the Hindus have turned it upside down. It's the word meditate in the hindu culture and buddhism as well they take the idea of meditation and what they mean by meditation is the emptying of the mind in fact there's a a god that sort of the pre-existent god of their millions of gods that they would have the pre-existent god his name is om this is where we get the idea of navel gazing it literally is they wanted people to focus on their navel because it's just a dot this is why they have the dot on the forehead you just focus on less and less until it just becomes a dot and you say that over and over um um," until your mind is completely empty devoid of any thought whatsoever in that religion that is what meditate means this is nothing like biblical meditation in the bible Meditation is filling your mind with God's truth. Who God is, what he's done, what these words mean. You you seek to know God, you seek to to use this knowledge as a means by knowing the one whom you love and worship. And once you get its meaning, once you find out what this is all about, what this truth is that this is conveying, the the author's intent here, once you think about that, you you ponder, what does this mean for me? How do I apply it to my life? How should I change? How should I repent? How should I obey? How do I listen to God's Word with an obedient heart? I think it's John Piper who said, to listen to God's Word with an obedient heart is the ultimate form of worship. It's no surprise that meditation, which is acquiring truth, meditating, thinking, filling your mind with knowledge of God... It's no surprise that that idea is all over the book of Psalms. Psalm. Psalm 1 to Psalm 150 is full of this idea of meditating. Psalm seventy I'll ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm one nineteen fifteen. I will meditate on your precepts, fix my eyes on your ways. Psalm 119, 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. I will meditate on your wondrous works. Psalm 119.48, I'll lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statues. Psalm three five. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Psalm 145, verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. See, learning, studying, dwelling on the Word of God, thinking about His deeds, applying it to your heart, This is all a part of your worship, your praise of God. Thinking of God, filling your mind with the knowledge of God will vastly enhance your worship, your praise. Number three, why should we pursue knowledge? Knowledge of God is vital to your daily spiritual walk. Of course, we cannot forget what Jesus said in John 17, 17, Praying to God, He prayed there right before He would go to the cross. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is how we grow. This is how we're sanctified. Philippians 1, verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. How? By just focusing on the mushy-gushy feelings of love? No. My prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What did Paul believe? He believed that the knowledge of God would change the way in which they walk, would change the way in which they think, it would transform the way in which they make decisions in their minds, transform the way in which they discern and Understand what is true and false and even true and almost true. Paul says this same thing famously to young Timothy about knowing the breathed-out Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy, you want to be godly? Timothy, you want to be someone who makes the right decisions? You want to know how to persevere in this wicked generation? Timothy, you want to know how to deal with your own shortcomings, the shortcomings of your church, the the, the culture around you? You want to know how to do that? You go to the God-breathed Word. That's why Timothy He would go on to say in chapter 4, that's why, Timothy, what I want you to do is be faithful in season and out of season to give your people the Word of God. Don't tickle their ears with what they want to hear. Give them the Word of God. Give them knowledge of God. I'm just going to put this in here sort of as an aside. Many Christians, many Christians, and I would include for many years, myself is included in this, many Christians have a horrible method of decision making, especially when it comes to big decisions. And it really goes back to an aversion to biblical truth, biblical knowledge. And even though they may not believe it and may not say it, it even betrays the fact that they may not believe that the Bible is ultimately sufficient for their needs. Really, it's a repudiation of what Paul says here in Philippians and in Colossians as well. A friend of mine and I were discussing this the other day, a lot of people operate like this, what they think is that God has His revealed will in the Word of God, and He has a secret will, a a specific will about what He wants you to do, and it's your job as a Christian, in order to know the will of God, it's your job to to simply have some sort of moment whereby God will whisper into your ear the, the secret that He's kept from you. You can't find who to marry in the Bible, and so God must have it in His mind. He has a specific idea, and, and you have to do some sort of gymnastics, spiritual gymnastics, emotional gymnastics, for, to wring this truth free from God. And you better get it right, because if you don't get it right, you might end up marrying the wrong person. And life is going to be miserable. You're going to be on plan B for your life, and you're going to have children that really aren't supposed to exist because you married the wrong person to begin with. So you better find out, you better focus on wringing out of God's mind this secret, hidden will, and you got to do this so that you know what to do in life. You're not going to find it in the page of Scripture. And so, yeah, read the Bible, yeah, understand Scripture, but what you really need to do is you need to find this hidden, secret will of God. And so what many people do, because they live like this and think like this, they think they're job is simply sort of to skim through get the basic idea of the bible and move on to more important more pressing matters they want to decide who to marry they want to decide about their job they want to decide about where they should send their kids to school and so forth the bible is consulted just for some sort of springboard to where they can come and say, well, this sort of pointed me to something, and I heard the voice of God, or I heard this, or I heard that, and I felt this, and I got this urge. And they're looking for those urges, and they're looking for those voices instead of simply looking at the Word of God. Let me be more specific. Among many problems, there are a couple problems with this mentality. First and foremost, God never tells us that that's how we know Him and do His will, God never tells us that we can or even should pursue to find out what His secret, hidden, sovereign will is. Never. We're never instructed to go on this hunt to find out what God's secret will is. His ways are higher than our ways. No one can know the thoughts of the Lord. There's no passage where we're instructed to seek out the secret will of God. You can't. In fact, that's why it's called secret. He doesn't want us to know certain things. Maybe God wants us simply to search the Bible, glean the truths and principles of Scripture, and simply go through the faith-inducing process of making a decision. Maybe that's what God wants for us, to just be disciplined enough to to try try to find and meditate on the word of truth and find the principles there and find the truths there and, and make a decision based on those things instead of trying to find the hidden answer. It happens sometimes when people do this and they make a wrong decision and then they blame God for it. You told me to marry her, now look at this marriage. Your fault. The second thing that's dangerous of seeking this secret revelation of God outside of Scripture is you end up in life placing much more importance on these vibes and feelings and voices than you do the truth of the Word of God. You focus your attention really on what you feel. In fact, you could say it like this. You focus more on yourself than on God. How do we know the will of God? Know the Word of God. Study the truth. Fill your mind. Find out what the original authorial intent is. Find out what they're trying to say. Apply it to your life. Meditate on it. And the more you do this, this is what Paul is saying to the Philippians, the more you do this, the more you will find discernment, the more your decision-making will be refined and refined and refined. You'll begin to make decisions more and more in line with the truth of Scripture. Knowing God in His Word is vital to your spiritual walk, you see. Fourth and final, knowing God is essential to faith. Philemon, verse 6 I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul is excited because Philemon is going to share his faith. And you catch this, sharing his faith is sharing knowledge. When you witness to other people, you're not asking someone to just close their eyes and just believe take a blind leap no you're sharing truth with them you're calling upon them to know the truth and to believe the truth Paul said in Romans 10 faith comes by hearing hearing the word about Christ our faith is built on the Ramitas the spoken testimony of Christ it is built according to 1 Corinthians on the testimony It comes to us in natural means. There are witnesses to Christ and witnesses to the miracles and witnesses to the resurrection. Hundreds of people. It's put put down in, in written form, almost like an affidavit. We have sworn testimony. It's not just illogical, crazy leap of faith. We have written testimony here. and People can believe and trust. Our faith is not just a blind leap. Some guy went off into the woods and saw some... Gold plates, never to see them again. Our faith is not in some other guy who went up on a mountain and received a dream. We trust in the historical fact—historical fact that is preserved for us in the Word of God. Historical fact—it all points us to the person of Jesus Christ, that He lived and died and rose again. And these truths, like I said, they come to us by normal means: witnesses, testimony the written affidavit of Scripture. Through these things we find out miracles validated these things. We see the validation also in our own life as we begin to believe these things and live these things out. We see the fruit, the Spirit bearing witness with our own. You say, well, Pastor, didn't the prophets themselves have some bizarre experiences? Yes, they did, but God told the people to test these men. In fact, God would go on in Deuteronomy and tell them, if. What they're saying contradicts what I've said in the past, if what they're saying contradicts reality, if what they're saying is something that is illogical, incoherent, if what they're saying is not proven true, if it's not validated, you kill these prophets. I dare say that Joseph Smith and the prophet Muhammad would not have survived very long in the people of Israel. They'd have been stoned because of all the contradictory things they wrote, not only contradictory to Scripture, but contradictory even their own writings. God said, You're not required to believe someone just because they said they talked to me. You test them, you prove them. These are the normal means of attestation, means that you and I see even in the court of law. You, You test these things, you prove these things, whether or not they're genuine. Now, this goes all the way back to our own faith. When you came to the life changing faith in Jesus Christ, you didn't just have an empty mind and say, Well, I just believe. No, you, you came to this knowledge of your sin and your need of a Savior, and you believed that. You believed the Scripture's testimony about your condition as lost and dead in sin. And then you came to the amazing, great news of Jesus Christ that He came and lived a perfect life to cover you with the righteousness and provide for you an atonement. And Now, compelled with that truth, the Holy Spirit moved you to believe these things. It's all built on knowledge of truth. Then you take that truth, you do the same thing, and what Paul's saying to Philemon, you're doing the same thing. You're witnessing. You're becoming a testimony. You're sharing your faith, which is sharing knowledge. It's sharing truth. It's sharing data and information, but it's not just cold, hard facts. It's something that changes hearts and changes lives, the Spirit uses to awaken dead souls. all that to say this, part of being a believer, part of being a person who walks in faith is someone who fills their mind with the truth of God, knowledge of God that we find in God's Word. Well, that's my heart in 2023. Let me give you a couple commitments you may want to have. I didn't put these on the notes, but a couple of commitments, and then we'll have the Lord's table. I would say, one, commit yourself to daily Bible study and meditation doesn't have to be long or drawn out, especially if you're new to the faith. You may not be ready to spend two and three hours of Bible study, but at least spend some minutes studying the Word of God, reading it, meditating on it, thinking about what it means and how it can be applied to your heart. In that vein, I would say also commit to being a part of a family group. I know some of your schedules don't provide for that, but commit to being a part of a family group. I know we've got a couple of rogue, maybe one or two rogue family groups, but the purpose of family group is that we, we take the truths preached on Sunday morning and we gather around this truth and we say, how do we apply this? And how do we keep each other accountable and help one another do this in our lives? It's the purpose of family group that we would, we would do this. How do we take truth and apply it to our hearts? How do we help one another do this? So commit to being a part of a family group. And I would say also commit to some other form of bible ingestion how else can you know the word listen to sermons listen to the bible being read read a a solid book that's based on understanding and knowing the word of god do a bible study with someone attend one of our several bible studies that are available fill your heart and mind with the knowledge of god if you're a believer if god has moved in you or if God is calling you, what will happen is as you fill your heart and mind with knowledge, you will not just have data. You'll have a relationship with God Almighty. That's my prayer for myself and for all of us this year. This year. Let's pray for that right now. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word which gives us the infallible truths, inerrant truths of who You are, what You've done Lord, we thank You for this. We pray that we would not squander this reality by setting our Bible to the side and letting it collect dust, or may it be the repository of truth that really is treated as though it really is You speaking to us, not just a repository, not just a library of books, not just data, but truths that will transform us and change us and grow us and give us discernment and help us worship all these wonderful things lord we pray that you'd move in us i pray that you would give us all a deep desire to know you not simply to have knowledge for the sake of knowledge but to know you our savior and the holy spirit who works in us Lord, we pray that You would do this in our hearts. I pray especially for those who don't know You. We pray that You'd bring them the knowledge of their condition without You, their fallenness. And Lord, bless them with the knowledge of Christ, who provided the righteousness they could never produce, who provided an atonement that they could never pay for their sins. And Christ gave them that, and then He demonstrated His power over sin and death by being resurrected. So, Lord, I pray that they would place their faith and trust in Christ. So if they could have a relationship with the triune God from now and forevermore. As we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.